what's up everybody you are listening to the canby christian church podcast this is an on sunday episode you might be asking yourself what is an on sunday episode because i've never heard of this because i started (laughs) listening to this podcast only a few weeks ago and it's been a while But the On Sunday episodes are when the three pastors of the church, we get together in a dank basement on a Tuesday and talk about what happened on Sunday. I'm Cody. I'm Aaron. And I am Rob. And that's who you're listening to. We're going to jump right in to talking about our brand new series, Mm. Exodus. Uh, What was the name of it again? Exodus. The The God Who Is. The God Who Is. We're going to jump into that, but not quite. Yet, because first I wanted to find out how Rob's weekend was. Mm. Weekend? Or week? week? Really, uh, my entire summer, I need to recount because <laughs> we have That's how long it's That's been. a lot. So, in June, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And then July came along. June yeah. 27th. <laughs> Um, I had a delicious sandwich. It's been good. Today is the first day of school, <laughs> so the kids are, st- well, my son is starting third grade, so is uh, Olivia. Aaron's daughter, mm-hmm. and are then the Adeline's no. Oh, they're not. Huh? They are in different classes, and wow. I I think that was That's intentional, sad. probably because of their the school separated them. Yeah, this they, makes sense. They talk a lot. They have a strange elementary school, you know, flirty, weird boys and girls thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they probably are are trouble together. So I don't know if it was intentional, but I tend to think it might have so been. So Aaron requested it. Keep that yeah, kid away from, keep that kid away from my daughter. Yeah. That's, oh I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked. Um, no, but yeah, that's obviously big development and the summer has been great. It's been good weather, a lot of fun, fun events happened. Um, my daughter is learning many more words. You know how like they're at that stage where they just start learning words and words. So now she is putting them together into phrases and she has formed her first sentence. This was a few days ago. Um, I'm pretty sure at least the first sentence I heard her utter as like an actual, this has a subject and, and, and a predicate. This mm. is a sentence. It's the um, legal definition of sentence. It does. Mm. When I was changing her diaper the other morning, she said, my butt hurts. So, <laughs> um, that's awesome. Th- she literally said those three words, and I was like, oh, that's a whole that's sentence. A perfect I'm so <laughs> con- good job. That's awesome. And, yeah, I can tell because you filled this diaper with poop. So oh, no doubt. that's great. Anyways, that's, yeah, that's it's how like it's going. Parents remember awesome. their kids' first words. You remember the first sentence. That's yeah, right. That was my first sentence. Actually, I know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now it's recorded for all of time in what, this what, podcast. What was Owen's first? I don't know. What was his first compound sentence? <laughs> I have no, I could not remember it, but I'll remember this one. Yeah, for sure. Anyways, there you go. That's my little tidbit nice. for you. Aaron, how was your entire summer? Oh, man. <laughs> you mean my sabbatical? <laughs> That's true. Sabbatical. You have a lot to talk about. Quote, yeah. air quotes, but we sabbatical. don't have time, so don't, came, don't tell don't It tell went, and uh, like I've said in the other podcast, The Unhealthy Church, I think I talked about it there, Yeah. how what I sought to accomplish was virtually accomplished. The one thing I wanted to do was spend a little bit more time doing some vision planning for myself and just thinking about the next <coughs> five years or so, excuse me, in ministry and things like that. And uh, I didn't do that, but I'm better <laughs> processing that with other people, I think, than processing that by myself, looking at a forest or something, which is what I envisioned. So I'm kind of okay with that not happening. But uh, anyway, it was great time in Chicago, great time out of the pulpit for... I don't know, eight weeks or eight Sundays is what it was. Yeah. Well, nine. You came back for one, and then you took another week off. 
two weeks off after the one I came back. That's right. Yeah, Todd, Miles preached, and then you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I believe it was a, in total of eight Sundays Maybe off. Maybe that's right. Because yeah. it would have been nine Sundays, but I preached the one on August 7th. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was for sure the most I had missed in the last five years. Um, the, I missed four weeks or I took four weeks off in a row as we were moving into COVID, which was somewhat more coincidental than it was intentional. Anyway, uh, yeah, I had, I felt like a great time, um, spent some time with the family and did some vacations and camping trips and things like that. Um, and yeah, now really excited to jump back into, uh, a book of the Bible, um, especially going back to the old Testament. Um, so yeah, really excited about that. Yeah, that's cool. How about you, Cody? Oh man, I had a good, uh, I had a good week. We, uh, um, for the last day we had before the girls went to school, um, I had purchased one of these fundraiser coupon card things for, uh, Canby high school football. Um, and it had a, uh, coupon for Dave and Buster's attached to it. Have you nice. ever been to one of yep. these? A Dave and Buster's? It's been yeah. a while. Of course I have. They're like, they kind of suck. Yeah, they <laughs> take all your money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They do. But uh, but we went to one they're of. They're better than a bullwinkle, in took, my opinion. Oh yeah, yeah. We took the girls. Uh, well, they're more for older. Yeah, like they're, it's like yeah. a bar. It's not really yeah. for kids, right? Well, no, kids love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, kids kids can kids enjoy a lot of, like it. better kids, arcade kids like, games. Yeah. Kids like most bars. In general, <laughs> That's true. Allowed in. That's true. Um, but no. So we took our girls there. Act, but actually, the funny part is, Thailand, like, absolutely hated it. Like she like we played a couple of games and then she was like sitting there just looking weird and she was just like I don't like this place <laughs> it was like too noisy too much lights too many weird people around she was a really hard time with like odd people um, like when you go to the like you know a beach town and it's yeah. like a ton of people there and everyone's kind of weird she does like, know it, she it lives bothers her in the Pacific Northwest yeah like, it, bo- it bothers are. her like she has a hard time in in Portland you know and yeah. just like weird people are doing weird stuff it just bo- <laughs> it really bothers her and yeah so this place <laughs> she pretty much like hated it but uh but we made it fun we recovered and and got through it and then they were like we were talking off to school today really excited uh, and it'll be it'll be fun for them. It's always nice when you can use at least one of those coupons. I feel like I've bought those a few times and just they they just go in the junk drawer and they never yeah. get used. Well, I mean, I bought it to support the team. Yeah. Um. If you know, for one of our youth group students, and they needed yeah. it, and uh, so that that was cool. I'm excited for Canby High School football to start too. That, that's gonna be really fun. Um. But this week it's on a Thursday night. So none of us can go because mm. of life groups. Mm. You well, should have you should have planned around that, <laughs> Rob. Vince is gonna be bummed. Yeah, mm. they're gonna. He was a, they're they're ranked seventh in their league this year. They wow. were when I first got here. They were terrible. <laughs> You'd watch the thing at cuts first. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The banner at cuts first, and they just put L after L after L <laughs> on this thing, and it's like, do you guys maybe want to just take that down? Or but they're supposed to be pretty good this year, so that it should be fun to watch. I mean, that's the what I thought it sports. was. Friday nights, dude. Friday night it lights. It is, what but happened? there's a shortage of referees. Hmm. The shortage of referees. So presumably, it's on a Thursday night, so the same referees can ref a game on Thursday and a game on Friday. Um, because our nation 
has a referee problem. That's also an interesting fact, mm. which makes sense because everyone hates referees. <laughs> it's like part of our culture to it's yell. It's definitely a thankless job. Part of our culture is yelling mean things at referees. <laughs> and then we're like, why right. don't we have any more referees? <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird that we have a labor shortage and a recession happening. Like normally, you know, the reason you have a recession is because you're the, you don't can't like there's no jobs available Rob, for people. Let's, let's not get political. Let's just talk about economics. So here, here. let's. <laughs> We're trying to have a nice podcast. Uh, here, let's right. get into let's get into Exodus. <laughs> I'm over this. You all jump into Exodus. <laughs> <laughs> Exodus, uh, Aaron. What? Why? Why what? Uh, why'd you choose Exodus? Yeah, why? What were you thinking? <laughs> oh, man. That's the first question. Why? This, what led to the uh, decision to start preaching through Exodus? I'll tell you, how, question I tell you how it happened. I was at breakfast with Dave Howard. <laughs> this was nine months ago, maybe yeah. longer. Mm. And Dave, we were in Romans at the time, and Dave Howard was like, so where, what are you thinking next? And I'm like, you know, I'm whatever. And I maybe I said something. He was like, I mean, we just have to go into Exodus, right? Because... That we, we, Genesis, were in, we were yeah. in Genesis. We just got to go back into Exodus. <laughs> Matter of fact. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that sounds right. Is that, <laughs> that going to apply to Leviticus and Numbers also? Uh, I think maybe in the storyline, it okay. may be okay to go to Joshua afterward. Okay. Um. So, well, it, you know, after maybe jumping into the New Testament after Exodus. Um, but I don't know. It was as simple as that. And I mean, to be honest with you, I love the Genesis series and the time in that. I think it was good for our church. So... I was, it wasn't like he had to twist my arm or anything like that. It did make sense. Let's just jump back into the story in Exodus. Yeah. And um, I'm I'm pretty excited about any book of the Bible. I, you know, it's not like there's a, now there's some books that are intimidating to me, but it doesn't mean I'm not excited about them or about what God could teach me and our church through uh, that book. Um, I think there are obviously more appropriate books for certain times or contexts that your church is going through. Um, but anyway, I feel like there's a lot of great things in this book that we in our church could hear and should hear. And so anyway, I think it's going to be a great time, but basically it's just continuing the story that we began when we picked it up in Genesis. Really yeah. the question is why did you start in Genesis? I have no idea. It's <laughs> book number one that, well, yeah, I mean, I felt that way. <laughs> I just, yeah, it, that was a while ago, but I think that it was really going back to what does our church need at that time? Then we needed to go back to the basics. Yeah. <laughs> God created everything. Uh, do I need to tell you guys that? Um, it was it was a different different culture back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, it's a lot has changed. So anyway, excited about exodus yeah and so there are are there particular things in the book of exodus here especially like oh i can't wait to preach on that one that very excited fun. about the burning bush burning bush okay um and yeah like god declaring his name more very like excited that, yeah. about that yeah. uh when moses asks to see god's <clears throat> glory and uh oh, yeah. he sees sort of the eminence of his glory as he passes by him and declares his name um, and yeah, that, that obviously would be amazing. The Passover will be great. The 10 commandments I think are going to be great too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, are you excited to talk about all those fun laws not at really. the end circumcision, things like that. I mean, I've already talked about circumcision. <laughs> That's true in Genesis. Um, there's a really interesting circumcision passage just in Exodus three. 
but as he's returning to Egypt. Uh huh. Anyways, you probably yeah. won't touch on it spe- specifically, but mm-hmm. we'll get there soon yeah. in a few weeks when he. Um, anyways, I won't. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, for you know, sure. I'll try and not skip over what I need to hit. You know, but uh, and but even the end of the book, right? The end s- sort of ends with this idea of like God dwells with his people. And I think that's a very climactic moment, you know, yeah. in the yeah. tabernacle. So, yeah, there are definitely a lot of highlights in this book for sure. Yeah. I mean, Exodus is the sort of like moment that the Israelites throughout the rest of their history will remember God delivered us from Egypt. Right. God, he like salvation is really defined as deliverance mm-hmm. in this story. Yeah. I was a slave under a superpower and a greater power delivered me who was helpless from that power. And that being sort of a sign of really the greater deliverance, which is from sin. Right. And, and in many ways, Exodus shows that too, because though the Egyptians had a hold of them and were enslaving them, when they're delivered, you can still see that not only was the Egyptians holding on to them literally, but spiritually speaking, the culture and the comforts of Egypt, even though they were obviously oppressed, they still longed back still for Egypt because it was heart. hard. Yeah, yeah, it had a hold on their heart. And so they still needed to be delivered from that. And in one sense, that's what God was delivering them from, the love of the world and worldliness and comforts and settling for these things when God had greater promises for them. And so anyway, now I'm getting ahead of myself, but those are some great things that I'm looking forward to getting into, you know? Well, and soon, I mean, Rob likes talking about the economy Mm -hmm. pretty soon. We'll get into, you know, uh, someone who seems like they were probably a pretty good business person. Um, you know, Pharaoh's daughter's coming up (laughs) and we see she, went down to the bank of the Nile and pulled out a small profit. Oh yeah. <laughs> but <Ba-dum-pooch. laughs> dad, oh dad jokes. Did that, did that land her? That landed so <laughs> good. <laughs> she went down to the bank. Is this some like Sunday school kid? Joke? I don't, I just saw it like recently. Uh, That's some so random YouTube funny. video and I had to, I had to save it. Yeah. What's funny about this though, is my kids were playing that Nintendo original Nintendo game, uh, Exodus again. Oh yeah. <laughs> just like yesterday. I've never, they wanted game. to play we have a little retro dude we should console. we should like shoot a video of us playing, playing it Exodus. as like a sort of like a joke but, but also it has trivia at the end of every level there's trivia and they were they were crushing wow. yeah. that would be so funny the the series title is pretty interesting we we were looking at some series titles um and there's a lot you know like out of egypt uh what, what were some i suggested ones? the great escape the great escape <laughs> yeah i mean there's a lot of actually yeah. really relevant titles right right, right. uh you, yeah. well we had a friend we have a friend who did a series the that's gospel right. according to moses yeah um interesting that's yeah yeah so there's a lot of titles i i think i just kind of got struck with this theme like i was saying there god revealing himself to his people um Number one, the declaration of his name, uh, the I am, right, Mm -hmm. in the burning bush. And then the declaration of his name later on um, when Moses asked to see his glory. And the demonstration of his power through the plagues and and the deliverance and these kinds of things. And so anyway, I think the, the God who is, right, like undefined by us, 
um, but the one who reveals himself in all of these multifaceted ways. Um, and, And I think anytime we're studying a book of the Bible, it's good to approach it with that of what is this text teaching me about God? And Mm -hmm. that being your first question, you know? Right. Not what does it mean to you? Yeah. Yeah. How am I applying this? Am I Moses or whatever? You know, That's a valid question, but not, maybe not the first one to ask. Yeah. That, what does it mean to me? But anyways. Yeah. 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 I like that approach. Mm -hmm. And, um, what what was I going to say? Oh, I was kind of surprised that you didn't use that as your first sermon title. I thought you were going to be the God who is promise keeper or the God Mm. who is deliverer or, or something like that. But you called it a birth, the birth of a nation, the God, the God who is nation birther. (laughs) That would have been great. (laughs) A little strange, but great. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, I mean, at that, at that point I could call every sermon, the God who is, you know, that's true. Just, Let's try, do it from now on. Yeah, the God who is part one. <laughs> I think Rob is saying he wanted God who is part 32. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah, no. I mean, it actually, that that would be another series title, The Birth of a Nation. Right. That's true. Every yeah. single episode. Yeah, you could trace that theme. Is really the birth of this nation. It, and actually, I thought about doing that as the metaphor, um, the birth of the United States. We look back and think, there was revolution, a time where this people sort of went against this people over, you know, across the pond. And then once that happened, you know, the war was over. Then they established laws that sort of I- identified who they were. And then they had to live under those laws and blah, blah, blah. So it's, I mean, in, in many ways, the Exodus is the pattern for the setting up of a nation, right? You have land. You have, you break away from those who are essentially over you or oppressing you or have control and power and authority over you. And now you establish yourself as your own governance. Um, I mean, the same thing happened in the United States. I think that would have been a helpful example. Maybe, of yeah. Like that happened yeah. here, too. Um, of course, in the Exodus, the revolution was God making war against the gods of Egypt. Right. And so it wouldn't have been a perfect parallel. And because... People like to worship the United States. I decided <laughs> to leave that one out. Um, not that I don't love America. You still love <laughs> America, America, greatest country in the world, um, my opinion, but uh, and many others. But anyway, the uh, I mean, we have this conversation. When everyone wants to be like us or beat us, then we're the greatest country in the world. But we are no God's you know, country. We're not like right. this chosen entity. And that's all I want. I didn't want to mix that up. You know, we're, we're not These are God's theocracy. people, God's nation. Yeah. He's leading them out. Yeah. When, when a revolutionary war happens and there are, you know, plagues associated with such, then we can say God did that. <laughs> but all that to say is, uh, this is the birth of a nation. So yeah, that the whole book is really not just about the deliverance, but them being brought into a mighty nation. That's kind of the beginning of the whole thing is now they're a massive group of people yeah. um, starting from 70. Right. And it was so. great to make that connection back to Genesis mm-hmm. to see the very obvious, like, you know, kind of literary tool yes. of echoing, you know, basically word for word in a couple of places Yeah, to draw your mind back to Genesis, the God that made everything back then. Yeah. The God who made all of those promises mm-hmm. back then. That's the God who's going to keep his promises in this story when you see this nation flourish. Yep. And then, you know, within a verse, right? They're mm-hmm. like, they are flourishing. There's They're like flourishing. tons of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was cool to see. And, and even, you know, when it seems 
you know, that things are, are hard when it seems like things are getting really crazy. We're going to keep trusting in that. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the kind of a theme that we get to trace all the way, uh, through there. But you made a, a kind of an interesting point that this is, um, a theological book, not mm-hmm. a historical book. Looking back, you're not, you don't find other uh, outside of the Bible historical documents that know mm-hmm. all of these things. Um, and uh, and so we look at this and we see that this is a story that tells us something about God. It's a theological mm-hmm. book, uh, but not necessarily intended for historical purposes. And I find that extremely offensive. Do you want to... <laughs> Offensive. Yeah. Explain yourself. Do you want to explain Is yourself? offensive the right word or <laughs> I am offended. No, yeah. I'm not really offended. I uh I agree with that point. But what what were you getting at? Um why was that important in th- the in the setup of the day? I, I think people read I mean, much like they read Genesis and say, What evidence, archaeological evidence, do we have for the flood? Right? Yeah. Um Geological evidence. Geological. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) Archaeological would be something for the Exodus, right? Right, right, right. So there's evidence of people wandering in a desert for 40 years. There's got to be some evidence of this, and there's debate on which direction they went and blah, blah, blah. So you would assume there would be some archaeological evidence of these things showing where they crossed the Red Sea, where they wandered, um, there would also be other works of antiquity from either in Egypt or outside of that sort of marking this massive like event. I mean, the Nile turning red into blood. I mean, that would maybe be something people would want to write down outside of Scripture. <laughs> so anyway, the, the fact that none of that exists has bothered historians. Mm-hmm. Can we trust this if it's not validated? And the reason why is because when you get into the New Testament, there are a lot of uh, writers outside of scripture, uh, like Josephus probably is the most famous of them all who writes about this man named Jesus and the early church and different things. And so there's a person outside of that sort of validating the events that took place that we see in scripture. Um, not all, all of the events, but that there was a guy named Jesus there. So anyway, that kind of stuff bothers historians. Um, and, and yet, so they've wondered, is this even really historical? Or is it just anecdotal in the sense that is, you, it, is it just a good story and that story has meaning because it's for a particular culture in order to instill morals or whatever or identity? And do, you, do you mean more like mythological? Is that what you mean when you say anecdotal? Yeah, I guess you could say mythological, but it, mythological would mean it's um, like everybody knows it's not true. Right, okay. And But this... But yet they believe it anyway or something like that, just sure. as a cultural folklore or something. Um, but this would be like, no, they actually believe it is true, though I have no evidence for it ever happening. Um, like they believe these stories. Like this yeah. is our history, yet there's no evidence. But nowadays people would say, well, if there's no evidence outside of itself, then how can we mm. know that it is true? Um, so anyway, that just bothers historians, you know, Um but at the same time, this is these events happened so long ago. And so the purpose then, it's kind of like reading different other books of the Bible. You know, you have to look at its genre and what it's intending to do. For example, Genesis 1. You know, people look at that and they want to argue evolution. 
and look at the, is he talking six day creation literally, or is it a thousand years? You know, they debate these things and it's like, first off, Moses wasn't addressing any of those questions when he was writing this issue. He was trying to basically write an identity of this is where you came from. He wasn't trying to argue to the scientists. Right. Um, he was speaking spiritual truths. Now, all of these, I believe, are historically true. There was a historical Adam. Um, so th- the point is, is you have to, if people are trying to look to a text and impose a certain genre over it, right. that the author itself is not writing for that purpose. I'm not writing for the purpose of historical archiving. I'm writing for the purpose of theological reflection on this history. It's, what that does is it it removes the like it's important the history is important but it doesn't make it primary and so the point is is we don't want to just discover history in these stories we want to discover god and the message that he's trying to tell us through history and through these events and so anyway all that to say is the history we believe the history is true um even if the lack of evidence outside of scripture that there is a lack of evidence outside of scripture. Nevertheless, we have scripture and it has been passed down. And there are obviously these uh, writings, historical writings and the traditions of the Jewish people and all of these things and preserving of that. So there's no reason to believe that it didn't happen. There's just nothing outside of itself that proves that it did happen, you know? Yeah. But I mean, for crying out loud, that's like, an, that's an ancient text. I mean, these, um, these papers didn't last forever. Right. You know? Yeah. I was looking into this because I was curious when you said that. Um, I know that because of the age of this historical event, mm-hmm. a lot. And, and another thing that I was reading in an article, it was talking about the way that Egyptians cataloged time, like, and was very different than other mm-hmm. ancient, uh, you know, nations. And so it was difficult for historians to piece together exactly the time frame of certain yeah. um pharaohs even because it would indicate that they are happening at the same time when in fact those dynasties happen on different times anyways um but they it brought to light this one piece of egyptian poetry from like 344 which is after the events um but in that piece it actually does say some things that would indicate that maybe it could be talking about this uh this is one section of this papyrus that said like Plague stalks through the land and blood is everywhere. Nay, but the river is blood. Gates, columns, and walls consume with fire. The son of the highborn man is no longer to be recognized. It seems to be talking about the the different uh, plagues that mm. were happening. Huh. Uh, I guess what I would say is I think that, that the, the historical evidence is somewhat limited, and so a lot of people have doubts, but it still exists outside of the Bible. It's just not like it is in the New Testament because it's so much more ancient. For sure. Yeah. Well, and history is written by winners uh, you know so in this case like the egyptians lost big time <laughs> big time and they didn't want to <laughs> but so if you're going to egypt to try and find writing like they're not going to write down that they lost right history belongs to the victor to the victor there you go that's the phrase um, so the hebrews definitely wrote it they down, wrote it down obviously yeah. i mean if they're the only ones with the history Mm-hmm. Then they're yeah. the victors. So That's right. That confirms it happened. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, losers don't write that stuff down. They want to, you know, erase that stuff. So anyway, that that would make a little bit more sense as well. 
But anyway, but I, that's I an explanation that, of the history yeah, yeah, and the yeah. theology. No, it's yeah. a good point. And but I mean, I think it's a relevant point to a lot of Bible stories mm-hmm. uh, where we're going like, I don't like, how do I know? And there's some points in the Bible where you trust the Bible, mm-hmm. yeah, because it's the Bible, mm-hmm. and there's enough in the Bible to prove itself trustworthy uh, that you don't have to be afraid of not being sure of other outside proof mm-hmm. of every single thing mm-hmm. you find, um, yeah. which is uncomfortable for people because we like facts and for sure. <laughs> we like facts and figures and and picture documentation and we want to see the video proving it. Yeah. You know. Well, and we struggle, I mean, in the West, you know, we struggle with the miraculous. Yeah. And which is why we struggle with a flood. Um, we struggle with a lot of things um, and God creating. But again, this goes back to one of the most important verses in the Bible is the very first verse. Uh, my brother is calling me right now on my phone. You want to so answer? Put him, him. put him on speaker. No, 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 no. He's a <laughs> be ignored. Um, you know, the most important verse is Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you can believe that, then you can believe everything else. God yeah. exists, and he made everything. And if He made, and he's going to demonstrate his power over creation in a few weeks when the plagues rain down. If he can yeah. create everything, then he can unmake everything, or he can use everything to demonstrate his glory and power over anything else. And uh, so anyway, that's one of the most important verses, but I think our struggle with the miraculous and well, can I show evidence? And you try and explain uh, lot and, and his wife and how she turned into sand and the Sodom and Gomorrah and all these things rained down. Oh, it was a volcano or it was this. It's like, okay, it could have been all those things or it could just literally be that God rained some things down from the sky on them. And uh, we're always looking for some natural explanation when God could have used you know, natural events, or he could have, it could have been a supernatural occurrence. Um, well, nature itself is a miracle. Of course. (laughs) God created it. So that's, what's funny too. In that whole scenario you're talking about, sure. The volcano had to, uh, it, it, you know, coming to existence by the uncreated creator. So, but what I'm saying is if a volcano erupting, I'm looking at that. That's yeah. It's more recognizable. It's easily, more easily understood by most people. Yeah, and then there's many events. The supernatural would be, you know, a lame man getting up and walking. Like, right. how does that happen, you know? Right. Um, so anyway, that's that's what I mean by our struggle with yeah. the, with the Absolutely. supernatural. Um, Which is something we're going to have to talk about throughout the entirety of the book. For sure. Like, there's a lot of really incredible, miraculous things happening. Well, I mean, the burning bush. Yeah. How is this bush on fire and yet not being consumed? You know, I'm just confused by this oh yeah. my gosh the singing bush it's talking to me yeah what's going on here? <laughs> the singing bush. <laughs> the singing bush uh, uh what's that a reference that's a uh monty python no reference? it's from or what uh, is that the, the three bush. amigos <laughs> the three amigos <laughs> that's a movie man that's a deep reference <laughs> that's martin got layers short steve martin chevy chase yeah so good that reference definitely had, lay- <laughs> had layers uh but kind of diving more back into the story yeah yeah of the we've been talking a lot of setup and a lot of like you know outside uh things but to go back to the story it was an interesting point to see <coughs> that the the culture of the egyptians was mm. probably the only culture that would have mm. allowed God's, you know, peculiar people, their special, 
you know, priesthood that the, the Bible refers to them as, that God's people only really could have been incubated yeah. in a culture like the Egyptians that tolerated them, was okay with having them. They benefited from the infrastructure of the Egyptian culture, but the Egyptian culture also wanted to keep them at yeah. at, at arm's distance. And, uh, and so they were able to thrive and thrive and thrive and not be you know, not intermarry and not have other religions like pressed in upon uh, what God was trying to do with his people. So it was a great spot for them to thrive Mm. until it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And that was one of your main points, not maybe probably not main point, but one Mm -hmm. of your points was that sometimes God lets us be comfortable until the point when he needs to move us (laughs) and then discomfort sets in. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to talk about that anymore or maybe each of us have ways we've experienced that happening or uh, you know, how uh, another question on here is how might that be misunderstood? Should we just assume every time we're uncomfortable, God's moving us somewhere? (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's man. Those are all, there are three things you brought up. Answer all of them now. Yeah. Ready? (laughs) Go. Um, The whole incubation thing. Um, yes, for them then was God wanted to grow them in a mighty nation and he inserted himself in this great context in Egypt. The best part of that context is what he told Jacob when he said, I will go with you in Egypt. I mean, there's not a better promise. Uh, when you go down to Egypt, your whole 70, they'll all go with you. And, but the best part is I'm going with you. And that, that's when you know you're in God's will because God is with me. So he goes down there and I'm going to grow you into a mighty nation. Um, but yeah, thinking about that, that there, Joseph sort of tells the Pharaoh, if I remember right in Genesis, this is when it says that they were thought shepherds were an abomination. The Pharaoh asks what their, what's their occupation? And he said, Oh, they're shepherds. He said, cause he knew that they saw them as yeah. an abomination. So Joseph had foresight and thinking, I want to sort of keep some distance between them, the Egyptians and my family. And so I'm going to put them out in these great fields and distance themselves from, mm-hmm. from the Egyptians in order that they might not mix together. Yeah. And uh, I mean, look at Joseph. I mean, he had an Egyptian name and he had an Egyptian wife and, Egyptian children. I mean, he, that happened to him and he didn't want that to happen to his people. So, but overall they, it was a great sort of space, a womb, I guess you could say for this child nation to grow into, you know, a full blown nation before it is essentially sent out, uh, which I think again, is just divine providence that God would do that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting when, you know, when God called, Abram, right? And he said, I'm, I'm going to do this miraculous thing and you in your old age are going to have a child. And then this child, talking to Genesis 15, I'm going back to Genesis. Yeah. 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 And I'm, what's, it's crazy. Like now, like getting the perspective of the whole story. Um, how is this guy who is relatively like not very affluent, right? Doesn't have a great degree of wealth, although it grows over his lifetime. And how is he going to become a nation mm-hmm. that's going to destroy other nations mm-hmm. and take over this, you know, land in the future? Mm-hmm. Like it has to be baffling. And so the way that God does it is this crazy way through Joseph, right? Yeah. And then Joseph, through his trials and through the difficulties he, he faced, ends up in a situation where now he has this protection under mm-hmm. the authority of this nation that 
that is basically ruling most of that part of the world this time. You know, right. it's just crazy to think about how God has been weaving this mm-hmm. all these little pieces together, like on a chessboard. Mm-hmm. I don't know, mm-hmm. it, I, which I think you brought to light in mm-hmm. in the yeah. sermon as you went back to Genesis. So it's just really exciting, I guess, to think about like that. Also, have God's doing that with us too. Mm-hmm. Like we just don't see all the pieces all the right. time till the end of you know the story. Mm-hmm. I guess when you look back, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like to talk about um, like the incubation though, but then how at some point when you're full grown, God wants to move you on and uh, that womb starts getting real full. Yeah. (laughs) It starts getting real full. And I think that's amniotic fluids. People tend toward comfort, right? Yeah. They're like, cool. I like it right here. This is great. And then they, they grow spiritually speaking and then God's like, you need to move on. But they're like, no, this is, I'm comfortable right here. And of course, this is some subconscious thought that they either are aware or not aware of. Um, I, I mean, I can say, for example, just personal, like at my last church, I got saved there at 20 years old. And it was, I mean, I, it was amazing. You know, like mm-hmm. it was, I grew tremendously there. I grew as a person, I grew as a pastor, I grew as a Christian, I met my wife there, you know, like all of these things. I ended up going to school, and so I was a student and a pastor there, and I was just learning a ton, growing, building friendships, and uh, being formed and shaped there. And in one sense, I I eventually hit a crossroad, not just because of age, but different other things of like, does God want me to stay here or does God want me to move on? And uh, I think that's, you know, a a struggle that some people have, especially if they're inclined towards staying in the same place that they're in. Um, You know, they may struggle to leave. Other people who don't know, you know, they get uncomfortable if they stay in a place too long. You know, they feel like they need to move on. Uh, Those are the people who get a new job every two years. Um, You know, that just that thought can be scary. And I, I just remember there were things that went on there that made me uncomfortable in mm. my job, that made me in my position there and things like that, that made me and many others come to realize God wants me to move on. And that was obviously a very comforting feeling, knowing that God has a plan for me and there's some something else. But it was an uncomfortable uncomfortable feeling because... I liked it there at, at that time, you know, and, and over the next few years, once I came to that realization over the next four years was when things started getting increasingly more uncomfortable there. And it was just more and more affirmed that I needed to move on. And, you know, it wasn't just what was going on there. It was what God wanted to do with me. And I think he made my life situation there uncomfortable in order to move me on mm. to somewhere else, you know? And like I said, it wasn't just me. There were many others. And there were a lot of people who were, who had grown there and who had learned a lot there, which is a good point. My, one of my mentors, Dr. Morgan, he said as a church culture, you need to have a culture of sending because, and and being excited when God sends people because he'll either do it with or without you. And if he does it without you, it'll be painful and hard and frustrating and you'll be insecure about it. Or you can get on God's agenda and get excited about what God's doing. When people are growing in your church, he'll send them out. And, and the phrase is, he'll often send your best people. 
um, you know, getting on God's page in that sense, you know, yeah. and, and that happens. And I'm in my short little time here, I've already seen it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think to a large degree that when I first got here, there were a lot of people who were uncomfortable or who were comfortable and God wanted them to move on. And, and he created a lot of discomfort for them. See, I use the word discomfort. Not uncomfortableness. Uh, Discomfort. (laughs) But broadly speaking, I would say even 2020 created a lot of discomfort for people where they started questioning a lot of things, maybe even their church. Whoa, I'm learning things about my church I did not know. And I don't know if I necessarily Mm. believe or agree with that. And then they move on. Um, They look for some, they start asking better questions. Uh, so I think that there was a shakeup. God used that season to shake some Christians up Yeah. to move to different parts of the area, to move to other churches, to plant churches, to be perfectly honest with you, to close some churches that weren't preaching Christ, um, that weren't preaching the gospel faithfully. And if you were a healthy church, you probably survived. If you were not a healthy church, then you probably didn't. Um, so I think God can use those seasons, massive seasons, to move people around. And obviously we see that in the New Testament with the early church, how they would have comfortably stayed right there in Jerusalem. Yeah. But then persecution hit, and then you see them scatter. And what does it say? But as they scattered, the word spread. also spread yeah. um, as a witness. And so it turned into a bunch of different churches. And the preacher point is the great commission was go make disciples and I'm sending you to Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. Right. And then, you know, the next book they're in acts and they're not going anywhere. And he's like, okay, fine. If you don't want to go anywhere, I'll stink and discipline you Yeah. <laughs> and I'll send you out through hardship. I'll make your, I'll, I'll make your situation very uncomfortable. And, and God will do that to us because what, what the, what's that Psalm about? Don't be like the horse that needs bit and brittle to be moved. Um, you mean, oh, is that a bridle. proverb? Uh, I think it's a song. It's bridle. Bridle. Brittle? Brittle? Peanut brittle? Peanut brittle? Bridle. <laughs> a bit and a bridle. Um, you entice him with the peanut brittle? Yeah, I mean, you don't. You. You want to not be like an animal. You yeah. Know, you want to sense God's leading and move, not be Right, don't be kicked. A, some dumb donkey yeah. that has to be forced, <laughs> to, forced to do what's to actually good what for God you. God wants him yeah. to do. Um, but uh, you just see that pattern in scripture that God, when he wants to move his people, he'll make their situation, um, uncomfortable in order to get them moving. Psalm 32, Psalm 32, 32. Yeah. Read it for us. So I don't know. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's the NLT, but yeah. Yeah. That was one of our summer songs, wasn't it? I don't think we did 32. I feel like it's a great song. But yeah, maybe we'll get to it eventually. Listen, are those whose what else is transgression is forgiven? I feel like I did thirty-two. <laughs> you would know. Well, I can't remember. I don't remember numbers. My brain doesn't that's work like ble- that. That's the blessed one, right? No, the you blessed. did twenty-seven. Twenty-seven, but there was something in there about animals and not needing that. Because I remember I wanted to say, "Don't be an ass." No, I think that and was Emily a different. Said, "Don't say that." Was that in the Psalms? It, it, it is offensive. You have offended me by using that word. What if there are children um, listening? How dare you? But anyways, uh, uh, while you guys, I do there was something that. about, yeah. But um, you, you taught that at a different time. Was it a the, totally not, different yeah, thing? Not in the uh, Summer Psalm series. I think that was in Luke. 
Luke, maybe. No, I don't remember. I don't know. I don't remember. Oh well. This we're young men and we're good. already forgetting these things. Dude, it's, I've, it's I've never been able to remember a single I know. number from That's my true. But um, true. I was gonna say I I related to this one a little bit too when I uh you know was living at home with my parents mm. and uh, it was it didn't really get that uncomfortable other than the fact that I was engaged to a girl who was moving to Southern California um, and so I did too um, but that was I I you know I have a, a journal that I was writing in at the time where I was literally referring to it as like my time in the desert, <laughs> like a literal, literal what, desert of what, Southern California, oh. but moving out. And I mean, and it was a formative time getting out of my parents, totally. uh, you know, basement where I was just hanging <laughs> out, you know, and like everything was easy. Yeah. Um, and then, but then the small discomfort of like, well, I would be far away from this girl I love if I stayed like that was enough to get me moving. Mm -hmm. And it did God use that time. Mm -hmm. Um, but even that, like, I mean, I, I faced a lot of, you know, different crises of faith that formed me and matured me that I probably wouldn't have hit. It kind of sucks for my parents. They never got to like live with a mature kid i had to leave to, to do that but uh but i, I think mean that's probably the better thing exactly what happens yeah but they also like some of that time was really really hard that's why it matured me mm -hmm. um and so i mean i've i'm found myself at times like you know at least at you know at my mom's house there was always a pot of meat on the stove yeah, that I could yeah, go yeah. eat, you know? Right. And I mean, you probably have cereal in the pantry. You probably felt that way at times when yeah. you were early on here, you're like, man, at harvest, oh, yeah. you know, the pastors can buy leather jackets and stuff. <laughs> like, what am I, what am I doing here, dude? <laughs> you know, oh but like, gosh. but you know, you hit those Not times. Me. I couldn't have bought one, dude. That's but you hit those times, you Preachers know, where you're sneakers. like, you do think back at like, oh, you know, but then you see the results and the results are like fully formed people, you know, mm -hmm. like God was designing there. Um, but maybe we hit that other question unless Rob, you want to, do you feel like there was a time where you God used discomfort to push you? Yeah, I think we could all probably look at a few times in our lives. I guess the thing that I was maybe wanting to chat about too was, is there is it always that like, yeah. or could you just be uncomfortable because you've done you're well, in sin or whatever? This, like this is a great reason why you need the local church plug. This is why you need the local church. Yes. Because you should process these big decisions and moves with other Christians and not to say that they have, you know, the, all the right answers all the time. But as Proverbs says, there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I've known people who prematurely moved because they were just so frustrated with their situation. Mm. I can't stand the house I'm living in and, you know, all these external factors. And they think the grass is going to be greener on the other side. And and it's not. There's problems over there, too. And I, I think that that's why you need other people to sort of have conversations with about your your big decisions that you're making and. Are you making this for the, I, I remember talking to a guy a year or so ago. He was like, I'm out this and that. And I'm like, is there another reason why you want to make this decision right now? And I, I think, I think there were reasons. Um, and, uh, yeah. So it's just funny. Even time later on still having those conversations yep. and now they, they want to come back. <laughs> and it's right. just, 
I don't know. It's just kind of funny. And again, I think 2020 was a great example mm-hmm. of that. People made a lot of gut reaction moves and you know, maybe they'll, maybe it was God. Maybe it was just people hate being uncomfortable and they'll do anything. They'll leave great relationships and they'll believe a narrative that it's better over there when it's not. Right. And uh, so my point is, is you need the local church. You need to submit yourself to other godly people and their advice and, and then take that counsel and, you know, try and make the best decision. Right. But just because you have discomfort doesn't necessarily mean God's moving you on. Yeah. To process that, you need people with you. Yeah. A, a great question someone asked me one time when I was contemplating the transition was, are you running to something or are you running from something? Mm-hmm. And at the time, the answer was, well, both. Both. Yeah. <laughs> both. And the answer here with the Israelites is both. They're running out of this terrible situation yes. in Israel, but they're running toward the promises of God. Right. <laughs> like they're running toward God's promised land to them. Um, and so obviously the promised land, the promise of God, the prophecy of God, God's plan to use them to, to save the world is the bigger part of that mm-hmm. discomfort that they're running from, right? They're running mm. towards something way greater than the discomfort they're running from. And oftentimes we'll find that to be true when we're, when God's moving us somewhere. Mm-hmm. And if it's not true, you probably, like you said, process it with godly wise people. Right. But, uh, but if you're not running toward something that brings you closer to God or fulfills his kingdom better then like, maybe there's a chance like God's not doing this and you just feel discomfort because life sucks sometimes yeah, and totally. you make bad choices sometimes yeah. and other people make bad choices that affect you sometimes. Yeah, Definitely. Totally. Well, I feel like this this last question we kind of already talked about it, um, which is basically just seeing how God's sovereign plan is coming together now in the beginning of the story of the Exodus. We've kind of seen seen that, and we were reflecting on you know how encouraging it is, or or in what specific ways maybe is it encouraging that God had a plan, um, or how is it even? A challenge because what's weird to me is when God told Jacob, You're going to be a slave for 400 years, like that's not good news. You mean Abraham? Yeah, he I'm sorry, that, yeah, yeah. Uh, <coughs> that would be weird to mm-hmm. hear, like, Hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation, but first, you're going to suffer for 400 years. That's like, a long time, your people are going to be enslaved and mistreated. Like, how, I, I just got to, how did he take that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. So that, that we've kind of reflected upon that. I don't know if there's any other thoughts we might have about that. I think it is encouraging to note that even even dark times, like when you think things aren't going so well, you can rest on the promises that of God that he will fulfill his promises, despite the fact that now you're in a time when things aren't comfortable, he will bring you, you know, and um, in, into whatever that is. So I think there's there's comfort in that, but it's also a challenge to hear that you're going to have to suffer in these ways before you yeah. achieve. Right. Yeah. Was hearing the 400 years of slavery comforting? No. Yeah. But, but we still find refuge and hope. I, uh, I, I loved the, the kind of character, uh, you know, details you painted about the two Hebrew midwives. Yeah. Um, I'm shifting gears a little bit, but I thought that was a really great point. And I, th- I found it really interesting it's obvious, but you said it, and it made me think I never really think in this context, but the law had not been given to these people yet. Mm-hmm. But they still were like, obviously, I'm not going to kill these babies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that is, uh, you know, abhorrent 
Like I'm right, not right. going to do that. Um, and so I thought that was kind of interesting. I never often think, um, I never often think it makes is a sense. It makes no sense. I often never think that. <laughs> um, but I don't think that often about like when God gave specific laws to people mm-hmm. um, and how, like, I just don't really take that into context, but mm-hmm. up to this point, they don't have a 10 commandments, um, sure. but they still knew, you know, naturally that yeah. this is a wrong. Paul argues do. this in Romans a bit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it breaks the natural law. You don't even need, because natural law, then you have the conscience, like you, the moral uh, thing inside of you, the Jiminy Cricket that tells you what I'm doing <laughs> wrong is wrong. Um, you know, you, obviously you can sear that and that needs to be tenderized by scripture. But then you have the third thing, which is the actual spoken truth of God's law. Um, but the natural law is that which you observe in nature. A society cannot thrive when you murder everyone. Yep. A society cannot (laughs) survive when there's rampant sexual sin. Um, Because the foundation of society is a family. And if you don't have a family, then you don't have a society. And so you observe this because, well, we've seen other societies do it and now they're gone. So clearly we can't keep doing that. And so, yeah, I mean, murder would be one of those obviously plus the pain that you see someone else feel when yep. you know their child dies or their husband dies or whatever and so they knew it was wrong because i mean this is just only natural it's right. observable it's pain obvious to us plus the conscience and these kinds of things and then of course god comes in and speaks and now makes it a command you know divine command don't yep. do this um going back to rob's thing about suffering it, this is definitely introduces one of those interesting uh, conversations about why do God's people suffer? Mm-hmm. It's the the greater theodicy question, you know, the existence of a good God and the existence of evil at the same time. How can we reconcile these two things? And of course the Bible does um, in the sense that all evil and all suffering is sourced in sin and yet God is sovereign and in control over it and uses it for the good purposes of his people interestingly this story begins with with their suffering it's coming but the way genesis ends almost sets them up for it because it's this anecdote of joseph and sort of a personal reflection of his own journey in egypt Mm -hmm. and how he comes to the end and says what they meant for evil against me god meant it for good and so the message, the preacher point from the end of Genesis to the exiting Israelites is this. Your pain is also being used by God for your good and the saving of many lives. And and so, you know, you, you oh, geez, that's what God's doing with us now. Just yeah. what he did with Joseph, he's repeating that in a different way, but the same pattern, he's doing it then, and Paul obviously picks that up in Romans 8, that he can cause all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according mm. to his purposes. Um, God is not to blame for our suffering. Uh, the Egyptians are the ones that did this. Ultimately, behind that, a satanic force that wants to destroy the plans, purposes, and promises of God toward his people. Um, so so sin, but then God ultimately can use that for their good and 
and yeah. we see the good right away. As they were persecuted, they flourished. They multiplied even more. So even even before their deliverance, they they were already experiencing the benefits of suffering. Right. They were growing even further. Yeah. And uh, can yeah. you uh, do you have your sermon on you? Are you looking at it? Uh, I'm looking at something uh, else. I was but, trying yeah. to see. I couldn't uh, take notes fast enough. But you on that point of the satanic force. Uh, behind the ideas of the Pharaoh to just jump straight to killing and death. Yeah. Uh, you oh, had yeah, a quote yeah, yeah, about yeah. Uh, wherever there's a culture of death, something like that. Yeah. But I didn't get a chance to write down the, the quote accurately or who said uh-huh. it. Do you have that one? Uh, somewhere. Uh, I somewhere. found it really yeah, interesting. It. You have it? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, yeah wherever there's a reign of terror or a culture of death, Satan is trying to destroy the work of God. That's yeah. from P.G. Riken. Uh, yeah. Philip Riken, Philip Riken, yeah, in his commentary on Exodus. Oh, okay. Yeah, he actually. That's a great point. Man, there was a there was something that I. This is one of the reasons why we do the podcast. Um, but something he that Riken talked about in his commentary that I didn't have time to bring up. I I mean I think it was not central to the message, um, but he talked about how. Pharaoh used ethnic, uh, basically he pulled the racist card mm. to sort of save, cre- create a problem. I, I made that phrase about how he was an insecure leader and insecure leaders often create problems that they don't have in their mind. They invent problems and then they create a plan to fix those problems so that they look like this great mighty leader who's going to deliver their people out of this great problem that isn't really there. They've invented it and convinced the people mm. that it's there and so that they can look like this great hero and unify these people because what we need is a common enemy. No greater way to unite people than have a con- common enemy. And so he does that by saying essentially the problem is all this, these Jewish people who are growing in our land. And of course, we've seen this repeated over and over and over again. We see it in the book of Esther That's with true. Haman. Yep. He does the same thing. Of course, his is more personal. He's His ego is hit because Mordecai doesn't bow down to him. And so what does he want to do? He wants to wipe out all the Jews. They're the problem. And we see it, of course, in Nazi Germany and and many others, um, still even to this day blaming uh, the Jews. But it's not just Jews. It's many other ethnic people, right. minorities of a certain culture. Uh, but he had this quote right here. Blaming things on ethnic minorities is always convenient because racism is part of our sinful human nature. And his point is simply to say that's pretty easy to to get a lot of people ticked off about a certain race because Mm. racism exists in that prejudice within the human nature. If you can be swayed or convinced that way. And then he goes on playing the race card worked for Pharaoh and because he, he's talking about how it worked for Hitler, it worked for all these other groups of people. And, you know, if you want to control people, then you pull the race card. And it, when it's n- n- neither, it's convenient for you, but it's maybe not even existent at all. Yeah. And I, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I felt like I was like, why are we having all this race talk the last two years? And I know the racism exists, like it's fully out there. But I'm like, someone's using this to gain something. And I'm just kind of confused by what's going on right now. And I don't want to go off on a tangent here. But you see it even today is my point. Uh, People pulling the race card 
and they're using it to their own benefits and to other people's demise. And it's quite frustrating, but you see it here in the story, but I didn't want to bring it up because I feel like it would maybe. Yeah. I think it's, it is an important part of the story or at least one aspect of it for for sure. sure. Yeah. And we see it repeated that obviously Satan, the enemy of God's people is trying to use any means possible to end the people of God. Sure. And uh, time and time again, God has shown that he is faithful and will (laughs) overcome that evil. Oh, yeah. So that's the story of the Exodus, really. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, the race thing was kind of, you know, important. But at the end of the day, it wasn't their Jewishness that they hated. It was this was a this was a spiritual attack on God's people. And that's where it's different than like just racism that is towards someone of a different color or what this is like to attack the Jews was to attack God's people. Much like today, to attack Christians True. is not racist. That's like uh, persecution of a mm-hmm. religious group, of a, of a faith group. And so that's that's a little bit different than a, a race car. That crosses the way I look. It's yeah. but even, what I, I mean, represent. With the midwives, it's brought up specifically. These women are not like your women. The, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, which was kind of, it's a really interesting point within the text that God had really in his providence and sovereignty designed these, these women, you know, to be more hardy, mm-hmm. to be more strong. What does the text actually say? It says like vigorous, vigorous. great word. <laughs> they are vigorous. They have these kids right away. They're healthy and they, yeah. That's um, why I said, dude, they didn't lie. They told the truth and man, I mean, could you imagine you're the king you think you're better than everybody, mm-hmm. like, and 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 maybe to some degree you're presenting yourselves as better than everybody, but deep down, you know I'm not because I'm shrinking and they're growing right the, as a nation, and these ladies come in and just tell the king, your people aren't as good as our people. <laughs> I mean that's basically what they said. Yeah, that is bold to say something like that. That is bold, mm-hmm. and I, yeah, I think it's wrong to diminish these women as liars. I mean, they went in there and told the king what's up. Yeah. <laughs> Our people are better than your people. I mean, and, and it is true. Like funny. they're they're having babies. They're not miscarrying like maybe your people are and uh they're hardy, hardier, you know? <laughs> yeah, and they're they're noted by name and this pharaoh's not even mentioned. His not name is mentioned. not even mentioned, which was an interesting point you made as well. Yeah, it's um, pretty dope. But yeah, great chapter one. Next week, we're going to get into the, the main character, Moses. Yeah. We're getting into it. Actually, that was an interesting thing. When did Moses write his the, the Pentateuch? Like, when, did he write it in the wandering? There is debate. I would I would personally agree with the wandering. Yeah. Um, so after the events of the Exodus, while they're in the 40 years, he's he's yeah. got time to kill. Yeah, he's got time to kill. <laughs> and of course, he received the law, so he was writing the law. Yeah. He was writing, uh, you know, all the details about the tabernacle. Yeah. So. Ooh, actually. I mean, I think he wrote Genesis and the wandering too. Yeah. Um, after the Exodus, they're already out. Yeah. I mean, if you, you look at the story of Moses, I don't know when he would have written the the Genesis account if it wouldn't. What do you mean? Like, wouldn't it have been afterwards? It would it have t- been way after the the actual events of the Exodus. Yeah, because yeah, like you're saying, uh, these people who are confused, what are you doing, God? Moses is like, don't forget, everyone. Look at, remember the story of our forefathers mm-hmm. and Joseph. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the, that was probably the context by which he's 
Well, that, that was what, when I taught through Genesis, I opened with this, uh, I talked about in Uganda, you have this, you know, nation, African nation. They were colonized by the British for generations. And then all of a sudden the British pulled out and they were like, okay, cool, you can have your culture back. And they have no idea who they are anymore because that's what colonization does. They totally strip your identity away, mm. your religious, cultural, you know, your your identity is gone. And then they leave you and you're like, I don't, I don't know who I am anymore. We have nothing holding us together. And, and so what now you have this group who have been persecuted for generations right? and they're coming out of Egypt and they're asking the same questions. Who am I? Who are we? And they don't even have a historical identity really like that goes long, long back. And so Moses has to go all the way back to essentially say, well, your identity as a people group actually goes back to your identity as just human beings, people made in the image of God. Who's God? Oh, he's the one who made everything. You know, so all those existential questions are answered for the Jewish people in the book of Genesis, which then brings them obviously into their own personal history as the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, so yeah, that that's essentially what he's doing is he's writing for them their their history to answer their existential questions and giving them purpose. Oh, God has a plan for my life. Cause look at, he called Abraham so that we could have this blessing and we'll, we'll uh, inherit this land and all of these things. And he's got a greater plan. That he's going to use us to save the world. And, and then the, obviously the events of the Exodus are more mm -hmm. to recount what that salvation will essentially look like in, in the future. Mm -hmm. But all that's pretty fascinating. In my opinion, definitely. I I hesitate to do this because we're already running long. But we are. Uh, you did say one of the main reasons people doubt that Moses actually wrote the book is because he refers to himself in the third person so often. Yeah, storytelling. Yeah. You said you were going to mention it on, on the, the podcast. podcast. <laughs> was there something you wanted to say about that? I mean, it was just brief. Um, I mean, yeah, I think, like much like today, there are people who write. Um, books or they write articles or these kinds of things and then after they die someone will come in later on and take the writings of that person and essentially write something else yeah. and say but this is this is basically Jonathan Edwards <laughs> but I am Aaron and I'm taking the writings of Jonathan Edwards and I'm saying this is uh, like they they did this recently with this massive series all these old theologians on the Christian life, quote unquote. So they've read a bunch of Jonathan Edwards or they've read a bunch of Martin Luther or a bunch of John Calvin or whatever. They've read all a lot of their books and then said, what can we gather from their stuff that essentially we could say this was their doctrine or their understanding of the Christian life? And they attribute it to them. This is their thinking, their ideas, but we're compiling the work. Yeah, And there are definitely probably some parts of Exodus, well, really all, the whole Pentateuch, that have that flavor to it. Um, we have their writings, and we are compiling it in this way to create a theological idea. And yet at the same time, much of it, if you'll read those on Christian Life books, they'll have massive blocks of quotations. And so I think the majority of these books were actually written by the hand of Moses, but there's some areas because they were maybe compiled later 
that have like some of those other writings that were then filled in later on to create a theological voice for the people of God. Um, though largely, you know, penned and organized by Moses. So that's, that's kind of what I think a lot of people believe and understand about it, you know, in answering that question. Jesus said it was written by Moses. So there you go. Yeah. And, and that's what you could say for me. (laughs) That's right. But that's what you could say. Even with that, even with someone compiling it, that person compiling it is still saying this was written by Moses. That's true, yeah. So it's still the authorship and therefore authority of Moses. Right, yeah. Um, the man of God. The man of God. As the Psalm, Psalm 90. Said, yeah. Good question. Time is running short, Cody. It's time for Bible trivia right now. It's been a while. It's been a while. That's right. It's been a little while. So here it is. We're going to see how far ahead you've already studied. There were 10 plagues to get the Egyptians. Don't ask me these in order. What (laughs) was the fifth? (laughs) I plead the fifth. (laughs) The fifth plague. I want to say it's the livestock. uh, The the livestock. Is that right? Aaron? The killing of the livestock like boils and whatever. Wow. Okay. Uh, hold on. I feel good about the this. livestock. I'm, I'm gonna go with locusts. It was livestock. Hey You know what's funny? Like, locusts well, just... is uh, eight. Eight? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I preached on the plagues some years ago. Oh, see, it's still should. rattling around in my head. <laughs> well, it's funny is I had to do all these like uh, I had to memorize the Bible <laughs> <laughs> chapters. I had to memorize chapters. Uh, what are you talking in, in, about? In Old Testament, Dr. Mooney's class, he made us memorize every chapter of the Bible or of the Old Testament. Wow. Over you an mean entire like year. The, the main theme of that? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. like Genesis 1, creation. Genesis 2, creation of man. Genesis 3, the fall. Yeah. And Genesis 4, the first murder. Like you have to memorize what it's is happening. That's a bad exercise. That's yeah. great. I mean. But hard to do. Hard to do. So we had to memorize all of these chapters and uh it's been a long time well so a lot of good did you huh <laughs> what's leviticus five ah uh, i mean <laughs> there was a time uh, <laughs> law, laws laws on something interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be law that's how that's how those roll that's laws on so something interesting. Let's, let's find out what is leviticus five here now we're just stalling. Uh, yeah Volunteer of the week. Before I get to the volunteer of the laws, week, laws for sin offerings. Laws for <laughs> sin offerings. So that is Leviticus five. Um, our volunteer of the week is Debbie Jones. Mm, keeping up with the Jones. You all know her. You all love her. She's awesome. But specifically, uh, she's been filling in in the office when Melody's been on vacation. Mm-hmm. Really, That's all right. of us have been on vacation <laughs> at different times. People haven't been in the office She's that there. much. I know. And uh, and Debbie always fills in. So she is our volunteer of the week. If you see her around, tell her she's a volunteer of the week. Congratulate her. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell her to go buy herself a gift card. <laughs> <laughs> or, or buy her a gift Or you could buy her a gift card, yeah. She, and tell her thank you for the work she does. That's one of those volunteer positions mm-hmm. uh, that most people are going to have no idea someone did, mm-hmm. but are all benefiting from. That's yeah. just keeping the office going and the right. communication going and knowing what's going on. Receiving uh, packages. Exactly. Okay. So we all um, benefit from that, but no one really sees it happening. Uh, so thank Debbie Jones. Another thing she does that the week. nobody knows, uh, because usually it's done like Saturday or Friday. Her and Daryl uh, prep communion once a month. 
So they're the ones filling, you know, cups and with the with the body and blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, nice. So that they do that. That's a new, um, yeah, volunteer spot that they've been filling and doing a good job That's at. Cool. So, but she doesn't choose the communion bread. <laughs> so you no. can thank her for doing that, and you don't have to be mad at her that that bread is so yeah. dry and crusty. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh my. All right, that's it. Any uh, anything you want to say about what's coming up next week? Uh, no, because I haven't. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to find out what we're going to talk He's, about at life groups on Thursday. Yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> I do all my prep after Thursday life group. Saturday at. Eight or nine o'clock is when I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when he's prepping for Sunday. So show up to Life Group. You'll know just as much as I do. Thank you for listening to the Canby Christian Church podcast. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit canbychristian.org.